This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome back. It's the latest edition of the Book of Joe podcast, the League Championship Series edition. Hey, Joe Madden, I don't know, I'm sure you're paying attention here. Eight postseason series so far. We've had six sweeps, and we have not had a series yet go to the maximum number of games. And now we're looking at the LCSs, both two games to none leads uh, for obviously Philadelphia and Texas. Do you think, based on where we're at here, 2-0 in the LCS, we have any chance of getting to a Game 7 in either LCS? Um, it doesn't look that way. Um, I, I'd have to agree with you. And who knows why? I mean, it just seems like the team that does throw the first punch and lands it is really putting themselves in a good position. Um, just watching these games, it's been dominant on both sides. Uh, the Phillies obviously really dominant. Um, to a certain extent, even with the Rangers. Um, as long as the pitching stays healthy and well, and which it should, and it's a short series like this, and um, nobody's been really extended uh, on the winning side in their bullpens, man, yeah, I'd, I don't see it changing that much. Uh, to get to Game 7 is, uh, is, is really difficult to imagine. Yeah, you talked about getting off to starts. Obviously, in the series, we're seeing that. Let's talk about getting off to good starts in the game. When you're managing postseason games, mm-hmm. I'm sure you hear all the talk from the media, hey, it's important to get on the board first. Uh, just to give you a couple of numbers, in the regular season, if your team scores first, you win about 67% of the time. This year in the postseason, you score first, you win 72% of the time, 18-7 and seven so far in the postseason. Was that something, Joe, when you're running a postseason game that you were a little more aware of? I mean, of course, everybody wants to score first, uh, but the importance of scoring first in the postseason, was that something on your radar? Yeah, I mean, my mantra all season, I'd start yelling in the first inning, score first, let's score first, let's score first. That would always be about scoring first. From the from spring training games on, you would always hear me yell that, and I wanted them to hear that because I wanted to be come part of our school, our culture and then not only score first, but I want us to score last. Uh, point is um, my jug run, I call it the jug run where you score in the bottom of the eighth with the lead or the top of the ninth with the lead so that you take all momentum away from the other side. So it was always about scoring first and scoring last. Obviously that's a, a good position to be in. And uh, what I think happens in the, in, uh, in playoffs and that's, we've talked about this. And one of the things I talked to my teams about, listen, Things are not always going to go perfectly. Things are going to go sideways or awry, and we cannot permit that 
to like multiply against us. And I think that's what happens. You'll see at bats get less than on the team that's behind. You'll just see looks and I look at faces a lot, man. That's just what I do. I look at eyeballs and faces and you could just see there's not that believability in the team that gets down compared obviously to the one that jumps on top. They just, they garner momentum. They don't give it up. And if you have any kind of a bullpen at all, it's really difficult to get on top of these guys late. So I think really advantage score first and always score last to really uh, to throw some dirt on them. Now, I have read the Joe Madden glossary back and forth. So for our fans who have not, you must explain jug runs. You did by what it is, but where that name comes from. Yeah, I want him to go for the jugular. Um, instructional leagues back in the 80s, I uh, was big on it. I was big on it. I mean, uh, think about it. Uh, when I was a manager in the Texas League and the uh, – in the uh, Northwest League, Texas League, and also Midwest League, uh, it was obvious to me that latter part of the game, uh, whenever you, whenever somebody would score against us in their last at bat when they already had a lead, man, it just it just took the air out. But if you could, uh, in a, particularly in a close game, if you could keep them from doing that, at least it presents some hope. Conversely, when we had the lead, I would do anything we possibly could to push across another run, just to take a little bit of the air out of that balloon. So I call it the jug run, go for the jugular in the latter part of the game. Uh, I think it's a great concept. Um, I did preach it from 19 to 85, 86 on to the present time. And uh, that's it. Score first, score last, go for the jugular. That is our jug run. So game three of the LCSs, you've got Houston going on the road to Texas, and you've got the Diamondbacks at home against Philadelphia. In game three now, when you're down two games to none, does the importance of scoring first become even bigger? And would that affect the way you ran the game as a manager? Well, it, it, it does to the, obviously to the team that's down, they need something to bolster their confidence. Now uh, it doesn't always matter because if the other team's just better and they're playing better, they're still going to come back, but you need something when you're down like that, you need something to, uh, again, to make you feel better about yourselves, uh, have some kind of a surge of confidence. Uh, yes. And so, what you're talking about possibly is, yeah, just do anything you can to score a run. I mean, you might even suggest bunt, bunt for hit, move a runner, do some little things right here to get on top. However, when you're playing against a bunch of bangers, like uh, uh, especially with the Phillies right now, that could mitigate a lot of this. But I would, yes, uh, promote doing things to get that one runner, get on top. And during the regular season, would I even permit – myself to think about is even making an out on the base just to become more aggressive, become more assertive, uh, stop worrying about making mistakes or being passive. Whatever it takes to become more aggressive or assertive, that's what I would do mentally. And then I would try to push that managerial button to make them become more assertive too. So yes, you would, you want to get on top. You want to stay right there. And that could mean a big difference when you're down two to nothing. Speaking of uh, bunting, which you know the analytics community does not love, mm -hmm. the other day is before game two, I was talking to Bruce Bochy, manager of the Rangers, of mm -hmm. course, and, and I've seen enough of Rambo Valdez. I know this is a guy who does not like throwing to bases. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like picking off. He doesn't like fielding his position. He's just, you know, one of these pitchers, and Joe, you've seen it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. It's just not comfortable with the ball in their hands, and they, they throw hand grenades to the bases. So I asked Boch about running against Valdez because he also does his pretty slow to the plate. And uh, he, he basically went with the bunting angle, even though I was asking about base stealing. And he said, listen, we don't have anybody in our lineup who really likes to put the ball on the ground with a bunt. I mean, that is the game today, right? You have something that you can do to take advantage of the other p pitcher's weakness. And yet it's not in anybody's quiver. They, they don't have that tool. And I asked Marcus Simeon, very smart, extremely smart baseball player, handles the bat well, obviously runs well. And I asked him if he ever bunts. And he says, no, nah, I really don't bunt. And his explanation was that to get a bunt down for a base hit, he has to put it in just the right spot. He feels like he has a better chance of getting a double <laughs> than he does of putting a bunt down, uh, which I thought was interesting. But, you know, these guys, as you know, most don't practice the bunt. They don't do it coming up. And lo and behold, as the game turns out, Robbie Grossman of the Rangers hits a swinging bunt, third batter of the game. And, of course, you know, the uh, Valdez just 
again, mishandled it and uh, like it was a wet bar of soap, chucked it down the line <laughs> and uh, and a fire drill was off and going on the base path. So, you know, it worked out because it was a swinging bunt. But, you know, I, I'd like your idea. And I was talking to Derek Jeter about this. You know, you saw Derek Jeter do it a lot. And he said, listen, I, I would to move the runners up, especially even early in the game, but late in the game. If you're down a run, if you got two guys down on and you're down two, you're the home team. He said, yeah, I, I would not give myself up totally, but I would bunt basically for a base hit. And if they made a good play, threw me out, the worst thing that happened was the runners move up. And uh, we just don't see a lot of that going. And I, and I know, Joe, for you, you, you've had guys who maybe were able to do that. Um, I'm guessing you you like that in a playoff atmosphere. I, I love it. Um, first of all, you're right. What happens is you get all your information and you'll say, uh, Verducci's a bad fielder. Let's spun on Verducci. And then uh, and that's just like people coming in and making the presentation. And I'm saying, we have nobody that can really do that. I mean, you have teams that literally uh, guys are not really good bunners or not bunners at all. Part of that is it's not been nurtured at all in the minor league system. And part of that is that, like you said, analytically, it's considered not a good play until you actually need it. Then, then it becomes a good play. So there's a lot of guys. You had the bad fielding pitcher. You know this. And this has happened. I don't know. Often during the course of the year, we know that, but we still can't get the bunt down and get the bunt down to make him handle it, uh, i.e. Johnny Lester. When we had Lester with the Cubbies, of course, Johnny did not like to throw to bases. So early on in that in my time there, I loved to put Javier Baez at third base when we could. Javi would just get in there. I told Johnny, we told Johnny, um, Javi's got third, Rizzo's got first, the catcher's got the front. You got nothing. You got nothing to do right here. And we would just challenge guys to bunt and have Javi make the play because he would. He would. He would just put himself in position to make that play. So there's ways to mitigate this also with the bad fielding pitcher, which you do defensively with your guys on the field. And the uh, outlier of that is the fact that by doing that, maybe, not a maybe, of course, your third baseman's closer, which uh, uh, limits his range on a ground ball to the third base side. However, you'll take these chances and Listen, I've had charts that really indicates where the guy's going to hit a ground ball against a certain pitcher. Believe it or not, look at look at Kyle Hendricks, for instance. Kyle Hendricks, ground balls, red shortstop or second base. Rare, uh, and Jake Rader, rare to third base. Rare ground balls to third base. So you don't have to worry about that. If you had a, a good hitter and not a very good defender and you want to get him in a game, Tommy Listella. Tommy with Arietta pitching was perfect because very few ground balls are going to go to third base. We're going to throw Tommy over there. As an example, you, t- you consider all these different things as you're setting your lineup or you're setting up your defense. So, yeah, um, last point, you said Jeter. I love that. So it, it really has evolved into that point now with hitters because guys don't like to square around. I mean, the guys aren't comfortable squaring around a lot. And a lot of it is velocity, quite frankly. And that's another thing, man. Okay, Tommy, I want you to butt right here. The guy's throwing 97, <laughs> 98 miles an hour. It's not easy. It's not easy to do that with. In, in the day, you would have primarily like low 90 guys, maybe high 80 guys, sinker ball pitchers, squaring up, putting the ball down. It was a different task. When you got elevated fastballs coming at you at 95 plus, not easy to get on top of that ball and put it down as your bunt. So I do like the concept of bunting for a hit. Uh, you hold back a little bit. You square later. You get the club head out first. And with that, always let the bat head move first, body move second. That would be the teaching points in regards to that. So I could go on on about this because I'm big on this, but you have to nurture it and teach it and teach it early. And then during the season, don't just put it in your back pocket. Make sure guys get out and bunt sometimes. Yeah, to me, bunting and bunting for hits, it's it's a lot to me. It's equivalent to putting. Yep. It takes commitment, but it also takes practice. You know, you just can't go out there and go by feel and say, like you said, facing 97, oh, I'm going to bunt right now. Right. It, but if you commit to it and work on it, you know, it's a skill that you can have. And I'll give you an example. Jose Altuve. Now, I'm not sure if he's going to start game three of the ALCS with a bunt, but he crushes in that ballpark. He, he loves the ballpark. But he did against Minnesota, and he hit a first pitch home run to start one game. The next game, he sees the third baseman basically playing back in left field, leading off the game. He dropped a bunt. And then we get to the ALCS and the Texas Rangers, even though he just bunted in the last series leading off, have their third baseman playing super deep. And Jose Altuve 
he he took the pitch, but he looked to bunt. It was not a good pitch to bunt, but he had that in his mind. He saw where the third baseman was playing. So I like the fact that at least it's an option for Jose Altuve. And I'll tell you, Joe, I don't think it's a bad play to start game three with a bunt to get yourself on base against Max Scherzer. What it does also, when, you, when you're successful doing something like that, it puts the other team on its heels. I missed on you, it does. Um, it's like a surprise kind of thing. We didn't expect this kind of thing. It kind of uh, nicks or chips away at your, your veneer regarding preparation. All these things are uh, unintentionally put in there. You're not even thinking about it, but it's there. Look at Matt Chapman. I know you've watched Matt Chapman. Do you ever notice how deep he plays at third base? I cannot believe how deeply this guy will play at third base, even against guys that can run a little bit. Uh, he's so confident in his ability to charge and throw. And I had guys that were decent bunters that still wouldn't bunt on him because of the reason I just gave. So all this stuff is in there. Yes, if you could successfully lead off a game with the bunt, uh, there's a weird advantage that goes in your favor because it does put teams on their heels. Well, the Diamondbacks and the Astros, uh, to me, Joe, they're in must-win situation. I realize that they're only down two and not three. Literally, it's not most must-win, but let's face it, other than the 0-4 Red Sox against the Yankees, nobody's come back from down three. It's just too much to ask at this point. So, yeah, I, I, I'm imagining, Joe, if, if you're the manager, if you're Dusty Baker, if you're Tori Lovello, you have to run that game like it's a game seven. No question. Uh, no question. Uh, there's you just there's no patience right here. It's it is the fireman mentality. It is all hands on deck. It's you cannot uh, wait for somebody to get their their mojo going, their feet on the ground. It's got to. And we're talking pitching primarily. We're also talking about pinch hitting. I know it came up with Maldonado the other day. Um, the one game he was pinch hit for, the other one he was not. To me, it was just on context where Verlander was still in a one nothing game and Valdez had already given it up early. But the point is, you, there's nothing to be waiting for. There's no patience to be had. If, you, if you're leading, of course, it's a different story. But when you're uh, even or behind, you have to be a little bit more assertive regarding what you may do. So all those things are in play for this game. Last point, Scherzer. Um, see, this is the perfect spot for him right now, being up two to nothing, really not knowing what he's going to do tonight. Um, you know, you'd have to bet on his pedigree a little bit, but the fact that he, uh, you know, the last couple starts weren't that good. He had this, all this, uh, these issues this year. This could be, this can go five innings and 75 pitches or four innings and 75, or it can go two, two and 75, whatever. And Boach will have his um, the handle on that whole thing. I know he will, but that's an interesting part. But it's perfect for Texas. They have a little bit of wiggle room there to see what they got, not only for the rest of this series, but possibly advancing, getting to the World Series, having a Max Scherzer back. Good points, and we need to dive a little more into that. It's fascinating. I'm not sure if I can recall the last time a pitcher went out there to start an LCS game on 36 days of rest. Uh, but we'll talk about that after we take a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back. It's the LCS edition of the Book of Joe podcast. And game three is Max Scherzer on the mound for the Texas Rangers. And Joe, I spoke with Max yesterday. Uh, He did throw a simulated game and uh, all the signs were good for what that's worth. Now, you know, it's not, you know, it's you, you can't simulate the energy and adrenaline of a game. But he went out there, he threw four innings, felt so good that he told Bochi, I want to throw another one. And what Max said was the best part about that day. And he felt good throughout it, but he said in the fifth inning, his stuff held, it was the same stuff he had when he started out there. So his stuff did not drop off. Now he said, he's never been any through anything like this. And I know fans will remember he had that neck issue in the 2019 world series, had to miss a start, came back from that and did make a start and pitched well. Um, Last year he had oblique issues, came off of that. But he said, the difference here is that, those issues were not related to his arm. This began as forearm tightness, and it turned out to be a muscle that's kind of near the armpit area underneath the arm that wasn't allowing him to get extended. He felt cut off. So he goes on the IL, and uh, he was expected to miss five weeks, basically what he has done. And that sim game was about 68, 69 pitches. Joe, I, I think that's all he's got tonight. I think 75 is the max. I think for Bruce Bochy, to me, the question is, do you allow him to pitch out of a second jam in that game? I don't think he's pitching to Jordan Alvarez a third time. I don't think he's going that far in the game. It's probably about an 18 batter max for Max Scherzer. Um, and Bochy will have his long relievers, Andrew Heaney, Dane Dunning, uh, Bradford. Those guys will all have their spikes out of the first inning ready to go. And then after the game is played, he'll worry about game four which is a piggyback game for Bruce Bochy. So that's the game plan for the Rangers going in. I'm with you, Joe. I'm not sure what Max Scherzer is going to be able to do. You trust the heart. You trust the experience. He's going to compete. We all know that. Um, But in terms of command, after being out for that long, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But the signs are good as far as his health. I don't think he's limited in what he can throw velocity-wise you know, pitch wise, I think he's full go. As you know, Joe, though, you get in these situations with so much rest. The first thing I would look for in the first inning is command. No question. And I also believe um, Houston's going to be ready to attack early. Um, I they're They want to set the tone in this game. I know you talked about the bunt with Altuve. That's possible. But up and down that lineup, it's not like they're going to go out there to try to work a count with him because they know he's going to be limited regardless. It's more like ups and downs as opposed to the number of pitches thrown with him. So they're going to be looking in one spot. They're going to have their game plan working. And if he doesn't have that normal carry on the ball like he ha- he normally has, eh, Houston's going to come out and hit some balls pretty well, I think. Uh, number two, you talked about it. I even say the second time through, you got to be very careful. It depends on, the uh, obviously, the, what the game looks like, how it's been playing out, how Texas has been doing against their pitching. But I would line it up for the second time through, making sure that the bullpen's alert uh, left hand, left on left. Uh, when you start a right-hander, I always look for a left-hander to take, left-handed hitter to take my my pitcher out. So you're looking at the lefties. So that would be what, uh, the third hitter up? Is that normally? Probably Heaney, Heaney or Bradford but, probably, yeah. but I, I think it's probably Heaney. Yes, yeah, you're right. I agree. Uh, but th- that would be, I, even the second time around, he's got to be aware of that. And, of course, the first time through is going to uh, tell him a lot. But even if, he goes like go through one through nine. 
relatively well. It still doesn't make me relax that second time through, and especially with the lefties. And having said that, um, Tucker and um, Alvarez don't care you're left-handed. And actually, they kind of like it. So it's a tough call, but you have to be, uh, like you're saying, all hands on deck at that point. You know, Joe, in a past episode, I, I recall you talking about the 2002 Angel staff, coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Mike Sosha was the manager. But, you know, Buddy Black and you and Ron Renneke and Alfredo Griffin, a lot of experience. Um, it, it was the cradle of managers, future managers on that staff. I look at the Texas Rangers staff, and let me tell you, folks, they're having an impact on this series. You know, Tim Hires, the hitting coach. Will Venable is uh, their outfield and bench coach. By the way, as you know, Joe, most teams go into Minute Maid Park in Houston, and the analytics tell them to guard the gap in left mm-hmm. field because that's the open area. The Rangers didn't do that. They made two spectacular plays defensively. They held a runner on second on a two-out base hit because they were playing where the guys hit and not playing to the ballpark. That was on Will Venable. And then you got to go to Mike Maddox, the pitching coach. This is his 21st year as a pitching coach in Major League Baseball. Bruce Bochy said it after game one. The guy is a master at game planning. So let me take you inside what the Rangers are doing to the Houston Astros. Because the Astros were the best hitting team in the American League this year against fastballs. They hit 279. They're hitting 160 in the ALCS against fastballs. And it's not because the Rangers are throwing more of them. They're throwing fewer of them. Their pitch mix has been just outstanding. They're moving the ball in and out, up and down, and changing velocity. They're also taking the very aggressive Houston hitters, the most aggressive hitters, and starting them as if the count's 0-2 with breaking stuff. And they're, they're speeding them up, slowing them down. It's just been a master plan of pitch mixing. And, and I'll give you the numbers here. In the regular season, the Rangers threw about 46% fastballs, not not including cutters here, four seamers, two seamers, 46% in the regular season, 46% in the wild card, 51% in the ALDS, and here in the ALCS, they're down to 38% fastballs. So the Ivaldi, Montgomery, they were just master classes of mixing pitches, keeping the Astros off balance. You are going to see the same thing from Max Scherzer in game three. It's not like, here's my fastball, try to hit it. It's hiding those fastballs by moving the ball around and especially changing speeds. Uh, And Scherzer, if he's right, you're going to see 93, maybe a 94. If he's not, you're going to see 92. So keep an eye on that. But uh, I just love the game planning now that's being done by the Rangers against the Astros. The Astros are going to hit. But they better start hitting tonight because right now, just the way the Rangers have game planned against them, it's gone Texas's way. Well, you had, like you just mentioned, Montgomery and Neovaldi. I mean, both of them really have really good other pitches. Uh, I love the way Montgomery pitches. I do. Uh, I love, <laughs> uh, like we, we were talking like earlier in the year when they when they uh, acquired him, I really thought that was a wonderful acquisition. I think the guy's been undervalued to this point. Um, the changeup down and away, the fastball in break the ball on the plate. I mean, he does so many things well. And he's 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 a he's got I've, I've compared him ways to catch Tommy John and uh, Jeff Zahn in spring trainings. And these guys didn't throw that hard, but they never threw the ball where you can hit it. I mean, I, I would never it was never permitted by either one of these guys to sit on the plate at all. It was never over the white, not even over the black. It was always like a little bit outside of the black on both sides and they would hit the glove all day long. I watched Montgomery pitch, and he's a better, uh, more physical version of that because he knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly where he wants to go. And I mean, he's in a groove right now, so he could pitch under the zone and off the sides, and he knows how to elevate too when he wants to. So he is. He's been awesome. And then Ivaldi, the split, dangerous. I mean, nasty. He got good breaking ball too. And this guy, um, they're both highly competitive people, it looks like, but they know what they're doing. They know how to pitch tantalizingly off the edges, making a uh, strike ball kind of a pitch. And they're really good at that. And that's, I think that's, that's the secret uh, sauce to their success. You know, when you break it down as a pitching coach or a game planner, it's one thing to break it down, but it's another thing to have guys actually be able to go out there and execute. I know uh, Maddox is very good at this. I had a guy named Mike Borzello. We had him on earlier in the season. Borzi, uh, I, I used to say team's got Borzello tonight. I sit on this uh, with him on the bench during the games and we're talking as the our guys pitching and I would say, How about this right here? How about that right there? Either you would agree, they'd say, No, 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 this guy is really this hitter's very good 
and making adjustment to this pitch in the situation. We're doing this instead. Almost 100% of the time he was right. I like the game planning. I like game planning by um, pitching coaches or a guy like Borzi. And I like that communication with them and the catchers. And I think Montgomery, Ivaldi, Johnny Lester, Mike Mussina with uh, Borzi in the past. The confidence derived from the communication with a an experienced coach like that to the player, I think uh, weaves into the fabric of that guy to the point even more confidence than any other way. Now, on the Houston side, you've got Christian Javier on the mound. And, boy, he's been throwing the ball really well right now. Mm-hmm. They call him El Reptile because he's just so cold-blooded on the mound. You won't get any emotions from him, whether it's things are going great or things are going poorly. Um, he's made three postseason starts. His last appearances in the postseason are three starts. He has allowed, in those three starts, two hits and no runs combined. He's the only pitcher in baseball history with three postseason starts allowing one or no hits. And it's all about his fastball. It's got some of the craziest induced vertical vert in the game, which means it, it basically doesn't drop. It holds its plane at the top of the zone. Here's a number for you. His last 140 fastballs in the postseason, zero hits. <laughs> He's faced 61 batters and given up two hits. So I think they got a good guy on the mound. If you talk about a must-win situation, you're on the road. This guy's got playoff experience. He's cold-blooded. So I like that for the Houston Astros. But to me, Joe, the key in this game and going forward, he mentioned it, Kyle Tucker. The the Astros have to get this guy going. I mean, he's basically a 30-30 player. As you said, he's really good against left-handed pitching. It doesn't bother him at all. Um, but he's been in a funk. I know it's only eight at-bats, but when I check the pitches to him, he's been getting pitches. They've been keeping the ball down and away from him, but in the zone. And he's been pulling off them. You've seen a lot of ground balls to second base, pop-ups. And it was interesting at the workout yesterday, I was talking to Alex Cintron of the Astros, the hitting coach. And he said, yeah, he's just, he's opening up a little too soon. They looked at the tape and and I've looked at it as well. And his, his setup actually changed a little bit. And you know, Joe, sometimes as a hitter, you don't even realize it. He's a closed hitter. You know, he actually starts closed and finish closed. The Astros have a lot of those. Chaz McCormick, Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Mauricio Dubon. They have a lot of old school closed hitters. Tucker's one of those guys. But in this series, while opening up too early, he's actually been neutral with his feet in the box. So they got him back to more closed setup. And obviously he likes to keep it closed on the stride as well. And he, he should stay on the ball longer. Um, so it's a very slight mechanical change. We're not talking about a big difference in the setup of the feet, but Joe, as you know, the setup, it's kind of like in golf, right? You dress the ball, that starts everything in motion. You have a bad setup, you're going to have a bad pass to the baseball. Uh, but either way, I, I think Kyle Tucker is the key for the Houston Astros. He's just too good to still not be a factor in this series. No, I, I really love this guy. First of all, Javier, we'll come back to Tucker, but Javier, um, first time I saw him, I said, dang, I mean, Watching from the sidelines, and we're doing nothing against this guy. And like you said, he, you know, look at the gun; it's ninety-two, sometimes ninety-three. But there's crickets, man. There's not even any hard contact. And correct, I mean, the ball stays at the top of the zone, and it doesn't uh, wander at all. And that really deceptively, from the hitter's perspective, you have to force yourself. Pretty much, Bob Clear used to tell me you got to reverse your elbows. Front elbow comes down, bat hit comes over the top. Uh, he got that from Kenny Myers back in the sixties and the seventies. But you got to do that to get on top of that pitch. Otherwise, you got no chance. You got a decent breaking ball, too. And that's why, you know, when I first saw Javier, I thought he was really good against lefties, also, because normally, you know, elevated fastball, elevated fastball in on a lefty that cuts a little bit can be very, very difficult. So I know he was in a little bit of a funk this year, but it seems like he likes this time of the year. I'm a big fan. I've only seen this guy pitch well. So if I'm watching on TV tonight, I promise he's going to pitch well. And the other guy, uh, Tucker, right? The close stance. You know, the thing about the close stance that as a hitting coach, uh, I'd be very uh, alert to that. Sometimes when a guy gets too closed, his front foot gets in the way of his hands and his backside, his backside can't come through. And then his hands get blocked. And all of a sudden, you're not getting the bat head out where you want to out front. And you get kind of a push opposite field swing. I I think most of the time when a guy really wants to be closed, you got to get off the plate. and Kind of like what you're trying to do is let the ball get deeper and force it back over the plate somewhat. And then you should 
your your sights should be like for for a left-handed hitter, his his right field foul pole should be right center, and for a right-handed hitter, his foul pole should be left center. In other words, you don't want to really just go ahead and try to pull the ball. You should you should you're working inside the ball from a close stance. You're gonna pull like and and that should be probably on something soft, a breaking ball strike. That's the one that's gonna get more pull from left center or right center to the pole. But if it's hard, if it's a if it's a hard pitch, like Tucker should be working from right center to the left field corner. That would be the optimal situation for him. I would bet that that's what they've talked about. That's where he needs to be focused physically and mentally. And so heads up. I mean, if you see an early at bat where this guy does stay close and all of a sudden the ball gets hit, even if it's an out, it doesn't matter. If he just gets the barrel to the ball and it's right center to left center gap, um, you know he's probably getting back on track. So these are the things that I used to look at. I mean, it was um, the, this close stance, like you said, uh, whether it was uh, George Hendricks or Disco Danny Ford. Uh, there was a lot of guys back then that would work from a more closed stance. Um, as opposed to something uh, more conventional or Willie Mays. Like there's other guys that were more open, but it's, it's all preferential. It's what you, what you do with that front side and how you get it down, where you are on the plate too close or, or far off the plate. All that stuff matters. I mean, that's the thing that I look at, the adjustments I try to make with my guys first. Even if I didn't like their stance and I thought there was issues, I would ask them to move in the batter's box first, maintain everything you're doing, just move your feet around, get off the plate more with your back foot, get closer to the plate, and all the adjustments should be made with the back foot first. That's where the adjustments are made, closer or farther away from the uh, in the batter's boxes. But your back foot, and because but your, where your back foot is dictates where your front foot goes. And some you know, you don't want it so close to the plate, your front foot that all of a sudden you get jammed even more. Back foot is the is the real intelligent foot. The front foot's just going along for the ride. So that's those are the kind of things that I would really pay attention to. So now as you tell me all this, I'm going to be curious and I watch him what he does. That's where that first line drive goes for Tucker. Yeah, at one more point on the Astros facing Scherzer. Uh, keep this in mind. In his career, Max Scherzer, his walk rate in the postseason is 42% higher than it is in the regular season. Mm -hmm. In other words, he just is not going to give in. And he'll also try to get you to get yourself out. Um, so I, and, and this is not, these are numbers based on when Max had a little higher velocity, you know, at 95. So keep an eye on that. You know, the changeup is so good. The slider is so good. They generally wind up a little bit out of the strike zone. Uh, I, I think it's being imperative for Houston to not chase. I mean, it's obvious in any case, but I mean, even to throw up a couple of walks early in this game and feel good about that and letting Max Scherzer know that he may have to come into the strike zone to get them out because in the postseason. He does not give in even more so than in the regular season. One more point, Joe, on this uh, ALCS. Okay. Bruce Bochy, you've managed against him in the postseason, the regular season. It's amazing. I'll give you some numbers on Bruce Bochy, what he's been doing here since 2010. His winning percentage in the postseason since 2010 is 717. 43 and 17. He's been in 14 previous postseason series and won 13 of them, taking out 12 different teams. He does not lose big games late. This really stands out for me. In his past 60 postseason games, his bullpen has been beaten three times. His bullpen is 16-3 and three in his past 60 postseason games. That's just remarkable to me. And I know you're the team that took him out. Uh, in, in 2016 in the NLDS when he was with the Giants. But if you're waiting for Bruce Bochy to make a mistake late in the game, and you did beat his bullpen in uh, the clinching game, mm -hmm. it's just not going to happen. The guy, he runs a clean game. Yeah, you got you to stay ahead of everything, and that's what we were trying to do in that game. And um, game four versus them in San Francisco was um, sending pinch hitters up there, knowing what he was going to do and having a pinch hitter to pinch hit for the pinch hitter. Which we did with Addis uh, Coglin to, um, how was it? Uh, we eventually ended up with uh, Contreras at the plate. But you have to have all yeah, this hey, back and forth. Can I stop you right there? Yeah, is sure. That, that is a great point. I don't, mm -hmm. How many guys did you have on your bench back then in a postseason game? Jeez, I don't remember, brother. I yeah, don't you probably know. had more than four, though, is what these teams yeah, have. Oh, yeah, you had to. These... Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Because you I can't mean... do all that maneuvering if you don't. Exactly. Right. The mm -hmm. other day, you, I think you alluded to this, Dusty mm -hmm. Baker had the bases loaded. It is, and it probably will be, 
the key point in this entire series. Mm -hmm. This is where the American League pennant probably was decided. Fifth inning is Nathan Avaldi. Bases loaded, nobody out. Yeah. Uh, it was Maldonado due up, and Dusty sent the kid Yiner Diaz up to pinch hit. I get it. That's the move, right? Um, you want a better offensive stick in there. You got to move the baseball. Um, the only problem is Dusty's got a four-man bench. So you just mentioned about what you could do where you could hit for the pinch hitter or make a two-man move. Dusty felt like he couldn't do that that early in the games. And so, in other words, he had John Singleton, a left-handed hitter, on his bench. And if you use Singleton, obviously Diaz has to come in the game and catch. That's a two-man move in the fifth inning. Now you're down to two players on your bench. It's mm -hmm. a little dicey for a manager, as you know, when you're only in the fifth inning, Joe. So he sent Diaz up to the plate. Now, if you've been watching Houston in the postseason, Diaz hasn't played much. He got a start against Minnesota. Every at-bat that he's had has not been a quality at-bat. I mean, he, he's a, a young kid. He's going to be a great hitter. He likes to chase. There's no question about that. And in this environment, his chase rates up even more. Avaldi knew that, took advantage of it, took him out on, on, on a curveball that wasn't even close to the strike zone. Not being able to move the baseball right there, huge point in the game. I mean, Avaldi then gets out of the inning with, he gets Altuve, struck him out, and then got Bregman on a ground ball. But they were limited because like most teams, even with a 26 man roster, there's just four players on the bench. And uh, it'd be interesting if D Dusty gets in that situation again, if he does trust Singleton, because I, I I've seen enough of these Diaz at bats to know the game's getting a little fast on him. So you look at his regular season numbers, and you say, oh, man, this kid can hit and he will hit. Don't get me wrong. This kid, guy's going to be a really good catcher, really good hitter. But in this environment, you may have to trust the left-handed hitter, even though Singleton hasn't played for a couple of weeks now. So I like what you're saying about hitting for your hitter and the two-man moves sometimes you make. But with a four-man bench, man, it's tough to do. It is tough to do. But, again, you have to understand that that happened in the fifth inning, correct? You were saying fifth inning? Yes. So that, But that could be the seminal moment. You can't – there's no guarantee you're going to be set up in the latter part of the game, uh, whereas you're going to want to at that particular juncture – Again, plus, um, you know, once uh, if if you were to hit for Maldonado, period, uh, this the other catcher, um, he's going to have to hit later in the game too. Um, so there's there's like you said, there's limited things to do with, but when you get to that seminal moment, man, sometimes you got to just throw caution to the wind and and go ahead do the lefty and then put your your last your last player catcher in that particular spot, knowing that you're going to have to let him hit in the latter part of the game against. Um, uh, you know, the better relief pitchers of the uh, Texas Rangers. Right. So what, what does make Bruce Bochy so good? Why, why is he throwing up win after win in the postseason? Um, well, like, again, it's, it's primarily, I think one thing he doesn't, he doesn't panic. I mean, the guy's always under control. Uh, I think uh, the teams that he's had have had a, a nice balance of right and left-handed relief pitchers. Um, I, I know that for sure. When I, we worked against them with um, the giants and going into those games, I knew I know what Boach would do. It's like we even like beat him. Was it 15 or was it 16? I can't remember. We beat him a four-game series in Chicago. I think it was 15. Uh, I remember going to the ballpark in 15, and I was jacked up because I just knew this was the series that was going to put us over the top. We beat him four in a row. We, we, we uh, beat him four games, four-game series in Chicago. But I knew for me as a manager, I had to be in front of him all the time. Uh, he's fearless. He's going to take chances, but there's a predictability because he's going to go left, right. And like you're saying, you have to have the uh, remedy when he does that. And that would be a, a bench and you have to be willing to do different things with him. That was a National League game then too. There's a lot of double switching going on. There's a lot of maneuvering going on that we don't have to deal with anymore. But I thought was really fascinating. And if anything got me tired after a good old fashioned National League game, it would be all that. Because you have to keep track of so many more different things. And you have to get people involved. And pitchers are moving around. And and that's part of it, too, that's missing right now that had been part of it. Now it's just, where's the pitcher? He's, he's not even hitting right now. He's just he's going to go left, right, left, whatever. It's a different. There's It's different. Um, I think there's he was he's consistent. The guys that he puts in there uh, knows that he trusts them. He's going to give them opportunity. He's um, I think that's a big part of it, the consistency with which he deals with these people. But from the other side, just be prepared, man. you got to work this out in advance of the game. you got to know what he might do. And quite frankly, that situation in game four in San Francisco, I had that, I had that in my head before that ever occurred. As we started getting back in that game, you knew what he was going to do with the, with the bullpen that he had had. 
and we just had to have the right guys lined up and ready to go off the bench. Cool stuff. Hey, we got to talk about the NLCS. Can the Arizona Diamondbacks get back into their series against the red-hot Philadelphia Phillies? We'll answer that question right after this. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, Joe, we started this podcast by talking about the fact that we have not yet had a postseason series that's gone the full distance, a uh, full number of games here. Uh, it was interesting to see, actually, though, the ratings for game one of the ALCS were actually the best game one ALCS ratings since 2015. That was pretty interesting to see um, an all-Texas affair. And uh, this may be part of it. First of all, I think the lead-in was NFL football. I think that always helps. But in terms of the market size of Nielsen television audiences, Dallas is number five and Houston is number seven. So you have two of the top seven television markets playing against one another. And if you want to throw in San Antonio and Austin, they're in the top 35. So four of the top 35 Nielsen television markets are in the state of Texas. It's a little bit of TV trivia for you there, Joe. Well, you got the you're playing in the Texas League. I I managed in the Texas League twice, from uh, Midland to Beaumont, from Midland to El Paso, from Midland to San Antonio. Yeah, Midland um, is not in the top thirty-five Nielsen television markets. Just to throw that. Uh, out. but it's George Bush is from there, and of course Randy Velarde, uh, and his dad was the groundskeeper at my the field we played on. But I tell you what, I, that's all I could think. Of. This Texas League, man, you're riding the bus. You're riding the bus between Dallas and and Houston right now. Uh, I got so many great memories of that place. Tough ones, though. We got our butts kicked, but it was a tough league, man. It was a tough league. You had to be, you had to be a man to play in that league between the buses and the competition. It was tremendous. So you're getting the the latter day version of the Texas League right now. Let me tell you, the bus ride that we took from Houston to Dallas, I felt like I was back in the Texas League. Awesome. I mean, this thing when I got off the bus, it was one of those like shuttle buses you take at the airport to go to the parking lot. It really was. I felt like I was in the back of a pickup truck on an unpaved road. When I actually got out of the thing and got my feet on the ground, it felt like if you'd been out at sea for four hours and you finally step on solid ground. I mean, and I had to write my story with my computer on my lap. And Joe, I don't do motion sickness well. It almost got really ugly in the back of that bus. That's that's inappropriate, man. You guys needed a regular coach or... It's got a couple of big black cars to drive you up there, or 
just rentals that you drove yourself. I mean, yeah. I get that. That was, was it three and a half, four hours? Yeah. Three and a half? Yeah. Well, we stopped halfway. No, so no, four no, hour no, trip. No. We stopped no. in Buffalo, Texas, by the way. If anybody knows there is such a place, yeah. there actually is. I love their wings. I love their wings. We, yeah. We did not go to the halfway house bar and karaoke grill. Uh, we just fueled up and got ourselves back on the road. But yeah, I'm not going back that way. So uh, Derek Jeter drove himself. So maybe I'll take hitch a ride with Derek. Well, he took a Jeep. He took a Jeep wagon here. Of course he, he did. did. Of course. That's right. That's right. Hey, uh, speaking of television, the Philadelphia Phillies are great TV, especially when they're home. I mean, these guys play with such energy. The crowd is just unbelievable. And now they, it's like they they have a contest among each other to see who can come up with the best sign, most creative sign. I mean, it's really, really cool. I mean, it just jumps off the screen at you when you watch a Phillies game at Citizens Bank Park and uh, the task was just enormous for Arizona to go in there, even with their two best pitchers. They come out of there 0 and 2. Um, Philly just, I mean, that lineup right now, Joe, there's just, mm-hmm. it's just, you, we talk about game planning. You can come up with a game plan against that lineup and it still can beat you. So, uh, is there a way for Arizona to get back into the series going back home? Well, they have to score. I mean, they have to put points on the board. Um, they got, they got a counter punch. I mean, I know that game ended up at 10-0 yesterday, but it was at 3 nothing for a while. And they get the first game where they get three runs uh, total, and it really didn't um, mount any offensive attack. they got to get more offensive. And I don't know what their splits are, numbers, home and road, and I know uh, sometimes they're uh, nebulous. But um, uh, they may see the ball better. Who knows? And plus, like you're saying, this, the, uh, the white noise of Philadelphia is not going to be there. And they're actually going to get some people on their side. But they got to score points. And listen, I'm all about pitching. Absolutely. But uh, it's going to be very difficult right now to hold down that Philly lineup uh, combination. They're, they're all hot. I mean, they're just all hot right now, and they're riding the wave. They're they're you know hanging ten right now. There's nobody that they don't feel like they can beat. They feel like they can beat anybody. Anybody. Cy Young himself has no chance against them. So uh, that's where they're at mentally. So offensively, the Diamondbacks. That's where they really have to, to come up. I don't know if the Diamond. I mean, the Diamondback pitching is fine, but uh, at this point. Um, the Phillies are still going to come out and do their thing like you've seen with or without the crowd. So the Diamondbacks have to pick it up. You got to get some points up there, points early, uh, kind of uh, put some, at least a, a seed of doubt in, in Philly's head regarding um, that they could be beaten by this group. If they don't do that at all, there's, there's zero chance. It's going to go 4-0. I'm with you. I, I, I definitely agree with you. It's not normally you go in and say, hey, you got to score points. Uh, usually it's pitching and defense. You win from there. Mm-hmm. But, I, I, again, I think that offense is too hot right now. Um, they've got it all rolling. and It's such a deep lineup. I mean, Castellanos mm-hmm. kind of buried there in the back half of the lineup is, is like a middle-of-the-order hitter. By the way, you had Castellanos with the Cubs. Um, you know, <clears throat> I, I've seen Kevin Long make so many great adjustments with hitters. He's another one, by the way. They spent a lot of time in the offseason. Not that he couldn't hit before. I mean, Nick is an extra base machine, always has been. But it looks to me, Joe, like just the angle of his bat getting the ball is even better now. Um, and he is a guy, I must say, he loves the postseason environment. I, I think it allows him to lock in mentally more so than the regular season. And I know you heard that phrase, hey, some guys step up, quote unquote, in the postseason. I'm not sure what that means, but I. I do know that in the case of some players, the atmosphere of the postseason does bring out the best in them. Uh, as you know, the regular season, 162 games, uh, it can be literally a routine. And that's not the case for Nick in the postseason. I know I, he talked about that last year. He made some great defensive plays. He's not known for it. And he talked about just his attention and his focus being razor sharp in the postseason atmosphere. So, uh, listen, we know it's a great lineup. But with Castellano swinging like this, man, it's there's no let up. And that's why I, I agree with you. You're probably going to have to score five runs a night to take this Philly team down. Yeah, uh, Nikki, uh, Nikki's a really interesting young man. Um, when you speak with him, he, he stone faces you, man. He's got these really piercing eyes. And like, you know, normally when you talk to somebody, you'll see some kind of emotion on their face. They might smile a little bit. Uh, yes, they might. They might not. Yes, something like that. But Nikki does. Nikki just stands there. And uh, I love that about him because I always, what's he thinking? Uh, he come up to me before every game, every game that I we work together, come up to me by the end of the dugout where I stood before the game, shake my, shakes my hand and says, happy opening day. 
He did that every time. You know, he has this like quiet enthusiasm, this this fire within. Um, so I, I, I'm really pleased for his success. Liked him a lot. Uh, what you're talking about, I think, I, the other night against, I can't remember who it was, he turned around 100 mile an hour elevated fastball. I mean, kilted to left center. And uh, that would be something he wouldn't do in the past, that elevated fastball like that because of the angle of his bat like you're talking about. I, Who was it? He just, he just absolutely. I think it was Sp- uh, Spencer Strider, wasn't it? Yeah, it might have been. easy to get on no, top no, of. Yeah, it was. Exactly that's who it was. And uh, the thing about Nicky, weirdly, and I don't know why, but he's line, gap, gap, line. I mean, this guy covers. He rarely hits balls at outfielders. It's always to the right or left, and um, it's normally hit hard. Uh, when he gets hot, man, he gets scorching hot. And a part of it is uh, confidence. And part of it is like you're talking about bad angle. It's just the way the bat presents. He'll like hook it down the line, or he just it's in a gap. Um, it's he's a he's a different uh, kind of an approach to the plate. Um, I think the difference I'm seeing a little bit. He's not chasing as much. I think that that really is the one thing that I always wanted to see him do is to stay off that bad slider. Except his walks. He's one of he's a hitter, and I've heard Trey Turner talk about it in regards to their success too. And I think that's there's some truth to it. They're not up there analytically trying to just take walks. I, I use the term, accept your walk. Pitcher doesn't want to throw you a strike, accept your walk. Uh, but these guys go up there wanting to hit. Nicky's one of them too. So uh, that's it. Uh, I, I like what he's doing. I'm very happy for his success. I like this guy a lot. And last thing on that series, Bryce Harper, man, you talk about good TV. I mean, he's a superstar player, uh, type A personality, extrovert, baseball rat, whatever you want to call it. And man, it shows every step of the way. I think it's always been the case with Bryce. Um, he's always played the game hard early in his career. You know, there's some people who criticized Bryce Harper. They didn't like the way he played the game. And I, I would always come back like, how do you not like this guy? He plays the game hard, like really hard. Some people have said, actually, he played too hard running into walls in the outfield. Um, if you ask him anything about baseball history, man, he's going to give you an answer. I mean, he knows the history of this game, I think, better than any active player. He's just so passionate about the game of baseball. He's a passionate leader. Uh, he, he loves responsibility. He signed for 13 years with Philly and said, I don't want an out an opt out in my contract. I want to put down roots and be in one place uh, because he was a hired gun for Listen, since he was 13 years old, travel teams would put him on a plane to go play in a tournament for them. And then next week he's playing for somebody else. Uh, the minute he started playing the big leagues at 19 with Washington, the question was, where is he going to play next? Uh, and everybody thought it was going to be the Yankees because they have the most money. And he had a poster of Mickey Mantle on their wall. Well, when he was a free agent, the Yankees said, nah, we don't need Bryce Harper. We have six outfielders, including guys like Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar. And we don't think he can play first base. How'd that breakdown work out for the New York Yankees? They also said he didn't think he could play first base. Here he is playing first base in the NLCS. Um, don't underestimate this guy. I mean, he's Joe. I, I know you famously took him off the board the one year by just walking him, walking him, walking him. I don't think he can do that in this Philadelphia lineup. There's just too much thunder behind them. Back then it was Ryan Zimmerman who was hitting a lot of ground balls. wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you have to account for, for Bryce Harper all the time. And yeah, the mo- the bigger moments bring out the best in this guy. And like I said, in the game of baseball, I know Shohei is just amazing. There's nobody like him, never has been, never will. But in terms of just pure TV, the emotion, delivering a big moment, it's Reggie Jackson. There, there's nobody better. There's no better TV in baseball today than Bryce Harper. Well, and I, I can agree. I'm not disagreeing on any of that. And one thing I really like, and I don't know that, um, you know, everybody's noticing, but I love the way these guys um, hit home runs, run around the bases, and then just um, greet each other at the dugout. Uh, it's so cool to watch. It's so he hit that bomb the right center, man. He just he put the bat pretty much right down and ran around the bases. Might not be a big deal, but I think that's part of their allure, uh, and especially to that city. Um, that's not a city of bat flips. I don't think that's a city that really um, likes that kind of an attitude. Um, and I hope I hope to uh, you know that kind of stuff becomes more in vogue again, where you act like you've done that before and you're going to do it again. I love that about him, and I love that about them. The, you know, retrospectively too, uh, when you look at Bryce Harper. Uh, he's got that really stern uh, look about him, that really square jawed look about him. And I think 
Uh, there's like uh, almost like an assumed unapproachability about him. He's very approachable. He's easy to engage with, but the look itself gives you a different vibe immediately. And I think people are finding that out to be totally different. I've sat in front of him on a bus with his parents going in an all-star situation a couple of years ago. And that's really pretty much the first time I engaged in conversation with him and KB. Chris Bryant were always buddies and KB was very, is always affable. So I think, I think that's the look too, man. They look uh, kind of like uh, people didn't quite understand him in the beginning. Now they understand it. It is, it is a focus. It is a competitive nature. It's a fire. It's a burn. It's NFL good. Uh, it's all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm really happy for his success. Like I said, I, even with that one conversation with him and his parents, he, uh, he told me everything and um, it's not going away, folks. It's not going away. And last point, I, I hate the comment when somebody makes the assumption that somebody can't do something uh, or they can't make an adjustment to do something without ever even trying, without even knowing the person. I, when I hear those comments in meetings, I, I cringe inwardly. Um, you don't know. And you don't know when you talk about a motivated athlete like this, uh, the one that truly is a level five guy, all he wants to do is win. Be careful what you say, because guys like this are going to prove you wrong all the time. Well said. And um, that's a great observation, by the way, on the Phillies when they hit home runs. Now that you brought that up, it makes me think like they can't wait to celebrate with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's about it's not about me. It's about us. And it's mm -hmm. a mass celebration. It's not a celebration of the guy who hit the home run um, until you brought that up. I really hadn't thought about that. But now that I do think about it, yeah, it's it's like a college team that it's, it really is for the good of the team, not for showcasing one's own ability. And it, they literally can't wait to get back to home plate to share it with their teammates. Very cool observation. Yeah, I mean, everybody's trying to outdo themselves right now in celebrations. I love I love the Philly way. And again, I think it speaks to the city. Well, we'll see if Arizona and Houston can get back into these series and give us more playoff baseball. We're a little short on postseason games this year, but uh, the storylines are great. Uh, both Texas and Philadelphia right now are just playing super clean baseball. They've got momentum going. Can they keep it up? We'll find out. We'll get back to you as these series go deeper. Um, so, Joe, it's really been fascinating listening to your take on the LCS here. And um, you're kind of like my closer here. I go to you when I, I need a, a way to close out the game. <laughs> uh, I know it's the ball's in good hands. Uh, so take us out here. Finish us off. What do you got? I had some I had two today and I, I'm just I've been debating. And again, it's germane. And I love it all. Um, maybe I could go with two today. May I? I mean, just just. Because uh, I think they're kind of dovetail. I mean, one comes from Oscar Wilde, and this is something that I really um, kind of trying to beat home to myself for years. Whenever you become uncertain and sure of yourself, you have a little bit of doubt working, and you look at everybody else. There's like a little sense of I don't know the right word is jealousy, but just uh, I just like to be more like that. But Oscar Wilde said, "Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken." And I again, you look at the Phillies. That's a perfect example of them being themselves. And the other one comes from E.B. White, who wrote Charlotte's Web. Um, Always be on the lookout for the presence of wonder. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to stick with, I love that. I've never read that before. I've never heard that before. But um, it's the idea, it's like first time eyes, first time passion. It's great that you could have that feeling of wonder when you observe something, when you're 69 or however old you are right now, and or even if you're 23, whatever, just never lose that sense of wonder. And when you're watching uh, performances like this right now, whether it's Schwab's leading the game off, whether it's um, uh, Harper playing to the crowd and coming through in big moments, or Max Scherzer coming back on a very short um, DL stint or IL stint. So I love that. So there always been a lookout for the presence of wonder, but again, realize everyone else is taken. So please be yourself. I really dig that. Yeah. I like that point about wonder. It really is around us. You have to just stop and notice it and be attuned to it. And uh, I know sometimes it gets hard, but um, yeah, there's a lot of wonder in the postseason. And Joe, that was an excellent job. I'm glad you brought up two of those. That's the equivalent of a six out save right there. Closing <laughs> the game, going two innings, not one. Six outs. So not easy. Not easy, baby. Another guy who steps up in the postseason, Joe Madden. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it, buddy.
The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.